Uh, today is December 20th, 2015. The title of today's sermon is Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Amen. Um, Sam, can you come? Would you mind sharing a quick testimony? There are often times when I want to do testimonies from prison and I've learned that if I wait to, to carefully craft it in the middle of the sermon... I never end up putting it in. <laughs> so uh, Sam is going to share. Uh, I was just asking, always ask, try to ask folks, bef- folks before service how prison ministry was. And uh, I just want uh, Sam to share a quick testimony about one of the uh, inmates today. Amen. We had um, eight women this morning go in. and We were all together in a pod. And we walk in and we felt such a hunger for the Lord this morning. And it was so refreshing instead of having to beat down this wall of sin These women came in such a broken state already, and they were ready to feel the presence of God, to repent, to be changed, to have them filled with the Spirit. They wanted this, and so a specific women that three of us were praying for, she was so filled with the Spirit this morning that she literally looked like she was in a different state. Her eyes, she didn't even blink for like 20 minutes. She was just frozen And yet her mouth could not stop uttering praises. She started speaking in tongues. She was just uttering just thanksgiving to the Lord and the word that was drenched over her by all three of us, that she was going to have her joy restored to her and that she was destined to be a light shined out, that she was going to be a testimony from that moment being filled with the spirit to now express this joy and light for the world. And so... I'm so excited that the Lord is unifying that word today. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Thank you. That word was a great encouragement to me. Um, You can turn to Isaiah chapter 9 because that's where we're going to have our home base today. Isaiah chapter 9. You might want to leave a mark. You might want to leave a tab. You might want to leave something there in Isaiah 9 because that is going to be the, the backbone of what we do. We're going to start there. We're going to go away and then we're going to come back. And then we'll go away and we'll come back. And that'll be kind of the format for today. But the word that Sam gave, the testimony that Sam gave was very encouraging to me because um, you'll see here in a minute that that's basically what the Lord was speaking to in an individual cellmate, uh, an individual prisoner today is the word that I believe he also wants to speak to us as a body. If you'll notice that uh, the last few weeks, we've been talking about a lot of building blocks. There's a lot of things that God has been doing to reestablish, to refocus us on some things. I don't think that anything that has been taught on lately has been altogether new, but I do think it's been altogether fresh for us. I don't think it's uh, unheard of, some of these topics that we've covered, but I believe that it's highlighted by the Holy Spirit so that we can readjust our lives to make sure that we're aligning with the Word. To know the Word... And to be living according to the Word could be two different things. To know them in our uh, very uh, American Greek thought, we can know something without being able to do it. Well, the Lord is helping us to make sure that we know it in a biblical kind of way. You can't know anything unless you're doing it. There is no other knowledge besides actual practice, the way that the Word instructs us. So let's start in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to read. Um. I, I was I was wrestling with with how do I address the fact that this is the Sunday before Christmas. I, I was wrestling with this and going, Lord. Apparently, joy. Amen. One of these days when we hear them do that, we're just going to do it right back to them. But not not today. Ah! Right. Um, we we realize as a church. I mean, there's no delusions that that this church has. Um, just a little, you know, you can, spoiler alert that we're about to give here. Uh, Jesus was not born on December 25th. I know, I know. It's okay. He wasn't. There was, there's no way that that was when he was born. Um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of different things, and, and we won't even go into when I think he was born. I'm just going to tell you when he was not born. He was not born on December 25th. One of the easiest ways for me to, to, to verify that is December 25th, has no real context within a, within a Jewish calendar. There's nothing important about that date in a Jewish calendar. There are some think that he was born in the springtime. There are others and arguments that, that make some pretty good sense about him being born at the Feast of Tabernacles. So this year it would have been sep- late September. 
that the joy and the light of the world came into the world at when they were celebrating all these things. There's a lot of things. My guess is is that whatever date it was, it's going to make a whole lot of sense with the Jewish calendar, not some other Roman-type calendar that came along. But what I didn't want to do was ignore what I felt like God was impressing upon me for our people. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1. Are you all ready? Are you ready for this? This is not something that I gathered by reading someone else's words. This is not something I gathered from reading and hearing something else. This is something that I felt like God gave to us today. Amen? Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Everybody say, no more gloom. gloom. Woo! Amen. In the past, He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, everybody say, in the future, future. He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Let's just stop right there. Talking about the land of Israel, yes? Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali. In the future, where is He going to go? To the land of the Gentiles. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1, He's already saying, for God so loved the world. He's reminding us that this is a worldwide thing that we're dealing with. That God is trying to say, I love all of the nations. And this passage of Scripture, yes, I'm going to start with my people, but my people will start to include even those of the Gentiles. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Golly. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. As we walk through these scriptures, I hope that you're going to catch something with me today. You've got to understand this from a Jewish perspective. We read it and it should be powerful. wasn't intending to get that overwhelmed just by reading those who are walking in darkness have come into the light. But let's, let's think for a second. What? Man, that's beautiful. They have seen a great light. Amen. Reminds us of the, the star in the east. Amen. We, we see the star. But let's, let's think through this for just a second. Was not creation done this way in Genesis? What was first? There was evening and there was morning. There was darkness and then there was light of the first day. We think through the exodus. They were in the darkness of slavery and came out into the light of freedom. They were <laughs> led by what? By a great light. At night, when it was dark, there was the pillar of fire that helped to show them they were walking in darkness and they saw a great light. Do you think that these people would have missed that connotation? The more that they would have thought about it as Isaiah is prophesying this, as he is speaking this, they would have gone, boom, creation, boom, exodus. <laughs> Let's turn to First Peter chapter 2. Hold your place in Isaiah 9. I promise we're going to come back there a ton today. First Peter Chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 9. Hey man, it says this. But you are a chosen people. Everybody say chosen people. A royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. A holy nation. Everybody say holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. I can't imagine that Peter wasn't thinking exactly about the things that we're discussing today. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. By the end of today, as we're talking about joy to the world, I hope that the, the end goal here is that we realize and we renew our joy in the Lord that we renew the lightness that comes from His Spirit being indwelling in us. Back to, um, back to Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death. What does that remind you of? Psalm 23. Right? On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Amen. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their productivity. That's not what it says, right? Just want to make sure you guys are following along. All you early prison people, just want to make sure you're not nodding off yet. 
Amen. Amen. Just checking. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest. When it says increase their joy, the word for joy there is Simha. It's number 8057 in the Strong's. It means to be joyful. It means to rejoice. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. So many of the feasts, so many of the festivals that the Jewish people did were around harvest. There was the, the, uh, there's Passover, obviously, with them coming out. There's first fruits. There's unleavened bread. And then, you, and then Shavuot or Pentecost. And then you get to the end. Actually, there's a great gap and it gets to the beginning of their year. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. What you get here is the idea that they're tying. It's going back as people rejoice at the harvest. You know why they're saying it that way? Because at the harvest, if uh, there's, a, there's letters um, of Aristarchus who came in, this man in the, about 150 B.C., he came in and he saw the festivals that were going on in the land of Israel. And he began to write about it in great detail. It's where um, he gets and he starts describing the high priest as if it looks like someone from another planet had shown up because he was so regal. It was evoking something otherworldly, something more than just what we saw here. It, that was this other commentary. What he also said was this. He was like, you have never seen joy. You have never seen true celebration until you see the Feast of Tabernacles. You've never seen such partying, such joyful exuberance, until you actually saw the people of God celebrating their God. So when it's saying, as people rejoice at the harvest, they're saying, this is the ultimate standard. Isaiah is saying, this is as good as it gets. When Jesus stood on the last and greatest day of the feast and said, what did He say? Hey, come to Me and drink. If you're thirsty, come to Me. As the ceremony behind Him is pouring out water from a golden vessel into earthen vessels. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And then the very next morning, what does he say? I am the light of the world. As they're lighting enormous menorahs. As they're lighting enormous uh, beacons of light throughout. This is what's going on right here. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. There is some type of serious joy going on. Hold your place here. Turn to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. God bless you. Numbers 10, and we're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammered silver. And use them for calling the communities together and for having the camps set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. This is your intercom system. Right? How do you get people who are in the millions to, to meet somewhere? I guess you could run through the camp and tell everybody to get ready. And you can also blow a trumpet. These silver trumpets. And, and by the way, we know that it's more like these, right? I'm sorry, camera, man. Right? A shofar, a trumpet. No Dizzy Gillespie here. No Miles Davis. Be a little difficult to do that on this. Silver trumpets that were done. Calling out the witness of the redemption of God. Silver represents redemption. You get redemption calling out for the people to assemble around. If only one is sounded, verse 4, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel are to assemble before you. When a trumpet blast is sounded, the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of a second blast, the camps on the south are to set out. The blast will be the signal for setting out to gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not with the same signal. They were supposed to make a unique call for unique things. It wasn't just one sound. There wasn't just one tune that the trumpet played. It was specific for what the purpose was. 
the sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. <laughs> Call to them with redemption. Remind them of redemption and remind them that it's time for war. Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Wow. Verse 10, also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed feast and new moon festivals, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before the Lord. I am the Lord your God. At these times of joy, at these times of rejoicing, turn to First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles 29. And let's start in verse 9. Actually, let's start in verse 10. What had gone on before this is the coronation of Solomon. People are coming and they are, the leaders of Israel are giving. David is giving from his personal wealth. Some of the estimates on how much Dave gave, David, King David gave from his personal wealth are absolutely astronomical. Absolutely astronomical. Giving to the Lord. Go ahead and read verse 9. I was trying to get away from the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king also rejoiced greatly. All these words for rejoicing here are the same word for joy that we see in Isaiah. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Have you ever started trying to describe something and then you kind of get caught up in the moment and your explanation kind of keeps going? I mean, it was really good. Okay, it was better than really good, Kim. It was like incredible. What's more than incredible? Well, it was at least that. Like I think of these kind of terms. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O oh God, we, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. Turn to, um, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's start in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. This is Peter addressing the crowd on the day of Pentecost. If you have been in our Acts class, you know the beauty of what Peter did here is he basically went over the entire history of Israel. As he's talking, he's hitting the key points of what they all knew was going on on that day. On the day of Pentecost, it's believed that King David died. So here he starts referencing King David because it is the day of Pentecost and they all know it's like celebrating something about freedom on the 4th of July. They all know the context. So when he starts, it's not lost on them. They understand fully. It starts adding value to the story, even things that he's not saying, he's now saying. He's telling them an entire history with single sentences. It's packed full of meaning. Verse 24, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 25, David said about him. This is from Psalm 16 is what it's quoting. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. It's full of joy and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. We are supposed to be full of joy in his presence. We are supposed to be full of his joy. Let's turn to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. Let's start in verse 8. Isaiah 35, 8, and says this, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everybody say, with singing. singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. It's kind of a neat way to say that. Has joy ever overtaken you? You're going along and joy overtakes you. Gladness starts to wash over you. It catches up with you and says, I got you. Oh, I remember, uh, uh, and I hope I didn't ask for permission to say this before, but I was blessed at our last baptism just a few weeks ago, whenever that was, at my friend Carolyn. Joy overtook her as we were baptizing. Is, is, it, is that a true statement? She started laughing and what did the rest of us do? <laughs> we started enjoying her enjoying the presence of God. Gladness and joy overtakes you and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I can remember as a child singing songs actually from this verse. <laughs> Come with singing unto Zion. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Oh man, I remember that. As a kid, old school. Man, I loved it. Turn to Isaiah 55. Going from 35 to 55. Y'all got to keep up with Julia. I'm just saying. That girl's on it. Isaiah 55. Let's start in verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yeah, in case you forgot, in case you've been stuck in your own thoughts lately, in case you've been trying to figure everything in your life out all by your little self, as the heavens are higher than the earth, there's the analogy that's being established, so are my ways higher than your ways. Oh, huh. What about my business plan? Well, I'm glad you have a business plan and God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth, that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. How would you like to be a person whose words always hit the mark? How would you like to have every single one of your words achieve what it's supposed to? That would be pretty amazing. (laughs) Problem is, is what is the key? It's, It's His words that do these things. So when we are wrapped completely in Him, this is not, this is not a, a branching off into name it and claim it. This is us saying, Lord, what is your will? And we're going to only speak that. We're going to only do what we see you doing. We're only going to speak what we hear you saying. And then what do we have? We have this. It won't return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Verse 12. Oh, look, here it is again. You will go out in joy. When you see God accomplishing everything He said He would accomplish in you, through you, around you, in spite of you, you will go out in joy. And you will be led forth in peace, in perfect shalom. The mountains and the hills will burst in the song before you. What is the English term there? Is that a personification? You're giving very human-like characteristics to inanimate objects? 
You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into singing, into song before you. That'd be pretty cool. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Come on, it's time that we go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Amen? Turn to Zephaniah. What? Zephaniah, chapter 3. Come on, there you go, Miss Jennifer. Upholding the Stephen's name right there. That was good. (laughs) Zephaniah. Verse 14. I'm going to let you get there. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 14. It says this. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Everybody say, all your heart. Uh huh. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. And never again will you fear any harm. One of my favorite parts of, the, of this idea of Christ coming to earth as a baby is that one of the things that He is called is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That just, I, I know that's so simplistic. I know it's so straightforward. And it blesses me every time that I think about it. He could have been called many things, and He is. He's the Prince of Peace. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. And He's Emmanuel, which means He's all of those things with us. Woo! If that doesn't didn't bring a little, as my dad used to say, if that doesn't bring some pep to your step and some zip in your hip. I don't even know what all that means, but it was good. That meant it was really good. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. This is the look of my kids when I tell them to do something that they don't want to do. And then I encourage them and I fix it. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. If you grew up with a good father, you know what it feels like to have a father that takes great delight in you. Just, man, I am so proud of you. If you did not grow up in a healthy home, it's okay too. Because the Lord Himself can take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. You ever had somebody just kind of freak out by you? <gasps> when, when Gabe was, was little. He's in Mexico now. And I'm proud of him that hopefully he's doing good work with Pastor Eric and Elder Steve and, and the rest of the team there. But when he was little, he would just kind of spaz out sometimes. I know that's hard to believe, right? He was a little guy. Three, four, five, just bouncing off the wall. And I had two choices in some of those moments. My first choice was that I wanted to beat him. <laughs> Repeatedly and often. And every once in a while, I would actually hear from the Lord and just I would just come up and I would just hug him. I would just come and I would quiet him with my love. And he'd fidget and then he'd go... Some of us are running around and we're fidgeting in our life. And God has been talking to us for weeks and for months now and saying, are you going to let me quiet you with my love? Are are you going to keep trying to get action and do something? And then you're just kind of... If you're trying to do something and there's nothing actually to do, in our house we call that spazzing out. It's motion just because I can't keep still. The Lord... Your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. A Father who's smiling over you, who's wanting you to do well, who's excited 
when you allow Him to empower you so that you're successful. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I don't even know what that could look like. He will rejoice (laughs) over you with singing. Rejoice so much that he might even break a microphone. So take that. Hopefully I didn't break it. Man, just jumping up and down when a kid crosses a finish line. There are so many things that we can see even in our natural realm. We can understand it from a very human point of view. Just a good father. Just a person who is seeing something and they get excited. And he'll rejoice over you with singing. I'm singing over you. I don't know what that would be like. But that says that that's what God is. He gets so excited he can't contain the joy. This is what we're to do. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9. It says this. Rereading verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. (laughs) We've been victorious. Do you want this? Great. Got plenty of it. Here, you take this. I'm going to take this. They're rejoicing. Verse 4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. So in verse 3, we're actually referencing referencing King David. You see some of this in King David. In verse 4, I see Gideon. Let's turn to Judges chapter 7, just really quickly. Judges chapter 7. And verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. We know the story. Started out with 32,000. God said that's way too many. And then he whittled it down from 32,000. They were already outnumbered about five to one. Five or six to one was the standard when they started and whittled it down to 300. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saving, saying, uh, I think God remembered the fleece and all these questions that Gideon had to start with. So he's like, Hey, look, if you need to know, I've already got a little situation set up. All you have to do is go listen and I'll confirm my word to you. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outer post of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. This is a big problem. We know the end of the story, but sometimes we forget the desperation that is there if you look at it in the natural. Gideon arrived just as a man. Surprise, surprise. Arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. I love the fact that the interpretation came like that. I I love the fact that he's talking about a loaf of bread rolling into the camp and smacking into a tent. He's like, oh, I know what that is. That's Gideon. Okay. Let's, let's go with that on the dream interpretation scale here. I like it. God has given the many nights and the whole camp into his hands. Verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Can I just ask you a real quick question? Um, if he places trumpets... And empty jars in the hands of all of them. One, we're not really talking about having other weapons besides this, right? But if it's an empty jar and it has a torch inside, then is it really an empty jar? He placed trumpets 
and empty jars in the ha- in hands of all of them with torches inside. <laughs> Isn't that what we were singing earlier today, though? Empty me, Lord. Empty me. Why? So that you can fill me. It's emptied of anything else other than what God is desiring to put in it, the very fire of God. That just hit me today. I've, I've read this a gazillion times and went, how can they have empty jars with torches inside? Oh, they've emptied it of everything else. Even in simple things, even in the small details, God is teaching us about his word. He's teaching us how to engage with him and say, you empty yourself and I fill you. Be empty so I can fill you. Be empty so I can fill you. That is the principle that is here. Let's go back to Isaiah. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot, verse 5, used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Every warrior's boot used in battle. The story that I immediately thought of was Joshua. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 10. So in the last three verses, we're turning to Joshua chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 12. So in verse 3 of Isaiah, we echo back to King David. In verse 4, we remind you of Gideon. In verse 5, we're going to recall Joshua and what he did. Um, I am in the wrong book. Joshua chapter 10. And verse 12 says this. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jasher, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the, is, when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. It's almost like the people that the Lord was staving off a darkness by giving his light for an extra day. Then Joshua returned to, with all the Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Makeda. When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave, he said, roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave. And post some men there to guard it. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies and attack them from the rear. And don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hands. They continue to chase them. He's saying, hey, don't go and get the kings right now. We know where they are. Just go ahead and put them in the cave. Lock them up. We'll come back to them. And then in verse 22, it says this. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with them, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. (laughs) Every man in the camp, every person who was fighting came and put his boot on the neck of one of these kings. Turn back to Isaiah. Let's keep going here. Every warrior's boot used in battle. He's recalling to them a time where they were victorious and they put their boot on the necks of the enemy. Total dominance over their enemies. And every garment rolled in blood. I don't have time right now to go into the the idea of the garment here. And by the way, we're going to get to, for unto us a child is born here in just a second. We're, we're, We're going towards that. But the garment, I think immediately of Shem and Japheth walking in with a garment and covering Noah. That simple story has meant more to me in my life. It's guided me in more things of what should I do? There's, if there's someone there, if at all possible, and when God lets me do it, it's, I'd rather cover than uncover someone's shame. I'd rather say, hey, if we're, we're on the same team here. Let me understand what's going on. Let me go ahead and cover this, if at all possible, the way that, the, the way that Shem and Japheth did. 
I think through Ezekiel and other places where it talks about in the folds of the garment, things that are pulled out and done. I think of Ruth having Boaz cover her, really with the talith, the, the prayer garment, this garment that's there. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 104. Psalm 104. In verse 1, it says this. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of the upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servant. Man, what a, what a powerful passage of scripture here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Kind of like what we used to call a sword drill, right? A lot of scripture here. Hebrews chapter 1. And verse 8 says this. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. This is referencing Psalm 102. This is speaking about David, how he was set apart. And what was noticeable about him was the reason he was set apart was by the oil of joy. Are we set apart with this joy? Let's go back to Isaiah. We're going to finish out here. Verse five, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Verse six says, for unto us, a child is born to us. A son is given. Seems a little bit redundant there, right? A child, a son. What I, what I thought about this morning for the first time was that for unto us, a child is born. Speaking of the humanity of Christ unto us, a son. Not only does it speak to the Israelites about the all the properties of the firstborn, but it speaks about the very divinity that he came with. He's a child and he's a son. He's the son that is given, the very son of God. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Everybody say Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everybody say Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Yet again, we have an increase here. In verse 3, what was it? It was an increase, an enlarging of the nation, and an increasing of their joy. Now it's an increase of the government and of peace. The Lord wants us to continue, line upon line and precept upon precept, to continue. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. (laughs) Matthew chapter 2. In verse 9, this is the visiting of the Magi. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. (laughs) Bowed down and worshipped a baby. Because it was more than a baby. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. 
Where does time go? And let's start in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of okay joy. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in the manger. These are very familiar passages, I understand. I mean, I get it. I want you to see how many times that joy is laced throughout this story. I want to see, I wanted you to see this morning how many times that joy is laced in what we should be, how we should be responding to everything around us. This joy. Let's turn to John chapter 15. John 15. The word for joy there that we saw in Matthew and in Luke is the word kara, number 5479. And here's another place that it's found in John 15. It says this, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. What kind of joy should we have? We should have his joy in us. And that your joy may be complete. That is God's desire for us is that his joy will be in us and that our joy will be complete. We will be satisfied in what he does. We will be full of joy. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Actually, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. (laughs) Galatians 5 is straightforward enough, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. What's the second fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? Now we're in Hebrews chapter 12. If the second fruit of the Spirit listed is joy, the second one, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If the very second one is listed as joy, how much should we be reflecting that? Amen? Chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It wasn't just the duty. It wasn't just the responsibility of it. I'm a person who is very responsibility driven. If it's before me, I will do it. Why? Because I'm supposed to do it. That's not how God intends it. Jesus, it doesn't say for the duty set before him. It said for the joy set before him, he endured endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's let's end today with Nehemiah chapter 8. How is it that we can count it pure joy? Well, we have to understand, we have to be like Jesus, who for the joy set before him. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 9 as we wrap it up. It says this, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. 
They had been weeping as they were listening to the words of the Lord. Um, that's an important thing for us to do. We hear the word of the Lord. It should penetrate our souls. It should impact what we're thinking. It should start changing what we're doing. But you know what I, what I wanted to encourage you in this morning? There's an appropriate time for that. And there's also an appropriate time that says this day. He didn't say every day, but he said this day is sacred for the Lord your God. Do not mourn and do not weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy. Everybody say, go and enjoy. Choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve. Huh? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That is a very common phrase. We know, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. This is in context in Nehemiah. This is the context of it. Hey, don't weep and don't mourn. We had, uh, I felt like we had a really good service on Wednesday. And in the middle of our altar time, Pastor Eric and I and Pastor Matt, we were trying to communicate in the middle of everything going, and this is good. Now let's pick it up. Does that mean that we were trying to end people's serious introspection before the Lord? No. We felt like it should, our mourning should turn into joy. Please evaluate your heart before the Lord. Of course you need to do that. And, hey, hey amen. I'm not going to weep and mourn because today is a day that's sacred to the Lord. <laughs> Reminds me of a Sabbath. There's, this, there's these Sabbaths that come that we're supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Have you been feeling weak? Maybe you haven't gotten enough joy. Maybe the Sabbath hadn't been there to help you just to go, you know what? In case I hadn't said it today, I really love my church. I am so joyful to be here serving you guys. Uh, some of you uh, celebrate Christmas. Some of you do not. Some of you, amen to all of that. What I want to tell you today is that this and every season, you should be full of the joy of the Lord. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. There should be joy in our hearts. We're going to end the service, and I hope that we end it full of joy. I don't want it to be heavy. I know we were kind of, this is a, a teaching word, right? We're going through tons of scripture. I wanted to show you from one chapter in the Bible that is often used at this time of the year. There are many things that we could have focused on. We all know Jesus wasn't born here, but I'm going to focus on this joy that he brought. Can you imagine Jesus walking around with a scowl? Like, I, that just doesn't compute in my brain. I envision always children running up to him. <gasps> What's the sweet little girl that came with you guys? Abby. So Abby came up and I was walking by during prayer and she was like, ha. Ah! And then she came up here and sat down and she was like, ha. Ah! I can't imagine that Jesus was anything other than joyful. Was he serious? Of course he had times. Did he overturn the tables? Well, of course he did. And he was full of joy. He was full of the joy of the Lord and it was his strength. Amen. Stand with me.